And if you have your Bibles, I would encourage you to, to turn with me to Genesis again. Uh, Genesis uh, chapter 12. It's just, uh, it, this uh, passage that we're going to look at is an interesting one in the sense that there's a lot of uh, controversy over it, and we'll see some of the reasons why here. But in Genesis chapter 12, we, we have this scene of Abram and Sarai and, and some interesting things that are, are going to happen because of, of a famine. But when you think of faith, and you think of you know, that question, you know, what is faith? Sometimes when we look at faith, and especially we use some of these uh, churchy terms, uh, we, we, we don't really fully understand what uh, these terms mean. And faith simply means a simple trust. That because of who God is, because of, of the, the character of God and His promises He gives to us, we have this simple trust that we can trust His Word. We use faith all the time. I know of, uh, as we've, uh, um, over these past several years that I've, have I've been here, I've used illustrations that understand that, that, that every time we go out and start our car, we're using faith. We don't see the spark. We don't see how the, everything works, but we know we put the key in and we're trusting that when we turn the key, it's going to start up. That's what faith is. That simple trust. We, and that's what we with, with God. So many times the reason why we lack faith, as, as you see the title there, a lack of faith is because our, it doesn't mean that there's a problem with, with who God is. It doesn't mean there's a problem with our faith. is because we don't trust God and we aren't trusting in His promises like we should. And here in this scene is exactly one of those times when Abram has a lack of faith. And in fact, if you're uh, following along with me, uh, join, uh, follow along with me as I read uh, Genesis chapter 12, uh, starting in verse 10. Now there was a famine in the land. And Abram went down to Egypt uh, to dwell there. For the famine was severe in the land. And it came to pass when he was close to entering Egypt that he said to Sarai his wife, Indeed, I know that you are a woman of beautiful countenance. Therefore, it will happen when the Egyptians see you that they will say, this is his wife. And they will kill me, but they will let you live. Please say that you are my sister, that it may be well with me for your sake, and that I may live because of you. So it was when Abram came into Egypt that the Egyptians saw the woman that she was very beautiful. The princes of Pharaoh also saw her and commended her to Pharaoh. And the woman was taken to Pharaoh's house. He treated Abram well for her sake, and he had sheep and oxen, male donkeys, male and female servants, female donkeys and camels. But the Lord plagued Pharaoh in his house with great plagues because of Sarai's, uh, Abram's wife. And Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister? I might have taken her as my wife. Now therefore, here is your wife. Take her and go your way. So Pharaoh commanded his men concerning him. And they sent him away and his wife and all that he had. 
if you're following along in the, the outline there in your bulletin, you kind of see, I, I want to kind of go over kind of the, the scene, the, the, the events that happen and, and kind of explain you know, what's happening. And, and in a real sense, again, there's some people who will take this scene and because of what happens in the previous sections of Genesis 12 and at the beginning, at the end of chapter 11, they try to change some of this and think, and their mind are thinking, well, this can't be as bad as it makes it out to be. But the interesting thing about the Bible is this, is that the Bible is blatantly honest. That it shows the good, it shows the bad, and it shows the ugly about the people that it deals with. And sometimes we try to change and sometimes we try to, uh, to say, well, it can't really mean or we can't really, this has to be something that we don't fully understand because it can't really be as bad as, as it really is. And let me tell you, as we go through this, you will see it is as bad as you just, you think it is. What Abram did here is not a good thing. Last week we were putting Abram up on the pedestal and saying, look how great he his, these promises that God gave to him. He trusted in God. He, he, he was going and walking in obedience to God. And then all of a sudden here, a few verses later, we have Abram where we're shaking our heads being like, I can't believe he's doing stuff like this. The sad reality is this. This isn't the only time he does this. Genesis chapter 20, and we'll get there eventually, he does it again. But the events that we see here are this. Number one, that there is, in verse 10 we see, that there is a famine in the land. The land referring to the land of Canaan. And again, beginning of chapter 12, you see God coming and saying and giving this promise that this land that you are dwelling in, I am going to give it to I'm going to give it to your descendants. Right now you don't have any descendants, but I'm going to give this land to you. The land of Canaan was uh, throughout the history, and you see this over and over again, not just in Genesis, but also uh, as the nation of Israel goes into to the land of Canaan, that there are, there are great famines. And so what happens when there's a famine in the land, especially with Abram being a... A, a having flocks of, of, of sheep and, and, and herds of, of camels and, and animals, he, he had to travel around to where the, the food was at. And so a lot of times what would happen in the land of Canaan when there's a famine in the land, the, the people would pick up and, and would go down to Egypt. Because Egypt, uh, farming system was dependent upon the river Nile, not so much of the rain that the land of Canaan was dependent upon. The interesting thing is, is this. And there's a picture. Uh, this is a in, a in a tomb, a tomb painting in Egypt that uh, that dates uh, between a year 2021 BC and up to 1500 BC of people actually drawing paintings on the tomb of of them doing this. Here is and I and I highlighted it. This is uh, the picture of. The, the, the Canaanites coming into Egypt, this first group that the first circle you see is men, Canaanite, and in the back, uh, separated by a, uh, a donkey, is women. And the reason why we can see the difference between these aren't Egyptians, but these are Canaanites, and, and again, it probably uh, dates back to when Abram actually was traveling down to Egypt during that time, is because the, the lower part there is what the Egyptians looked like, and there was a totally different 
totally different culture. But that's uh, what's happening here is there's a famine in the land and they're heading down to Egypt to, to, be, to survive, to be able to find the food, to be able to find the, the necessary uh, requirements to be able to survive through this famine. But as they're traveling, and here comes the problem. Verse 13. Abram goes to Sarai and says this, Please say, Please say that you are my sister. The first point there in your, in your bulletin, your outline, is a famine happens in the land of Canaan and Abram heads to Egypt. Then Abram instructs, gives instructions to Sarai and says this, Say that you are my sister, not my wife. Say, when, when we go to Egypt, I want you to make sure that you tell everybody. Don't say, hey, you're my wife. Kind of keep that hidden. But tell people, you're my sister. You're my sister. And the reason why, and we'll see this in more and more detail in a, in, a, in a few moments, but the reason why Abram says to Sarai, I want you to say that you're my sister, is for selfish reasons. He thinks, and you, we see that. Now, verse 13, Please say you're my sister, that it may be well with me for your sake, that I may live because of you. Abram is concerned that if he goes down to Egypt and, and lives there in Egypt, that the people, the Egyptians, will see Sarah as a very beautiful, attractive, 65, 70-year-old woman at that time. The interesting thing about this, when we think of, of the word beautiful, usually we think of like, like a model and so forth. This word that is used here, in, in, uh, for a beautiful countenance and, and, and beautiful is the same word that Pharaoh describes uh, a vision that he had back in uh, Genesis chapter 41. In fact, turn with me Genesis chapter 41, uh, verse 2. I, I don't have this up on the screen, uh, but Genesis chapter 41, verse 2. It's the same word. You can kind of see a little bit. This is... Um, the Egyptians look for this type of characteristic in their, in their women. Starting in verse 41, this is many, many years later. Pharaoh has this dream uh, and, and, and Abram's off the scene. Uh, Isaac's off the scene. Joseph is there in Egypt. He's in prison and so forth. And this is that, that's the context. Verse four, uh, chapter 41, verse 1. Then it came to pass at the end of two full years that Pharaoh had a dream. And behold, he stood by the river. And suddenly there came up out of the river seven cows. These are these visions about what's going to happen that Joseph interprets for Pharaoh. So these first seven cows come up. The very next word, these first seven cows come up, how did they describe? They were fine looking. Same word that Abram uses to describe Sarai. They are beautiful. They are fine looking. They are fat. And they fed in the meadows and, and, and so forth. And so when you think about this understanding, you know, why was Abram so concerned that, that, that as they were going down to Egypt that the Egyptians would, would look at Sarai and say, man, she is, she is fine looking, she is beautiful, and be concerned that for his lively, that for his sake of his life, that they would take her and kill him. It's because 
that understanding that, that she was good looking. She was healthy. She was, as, as sometimes we say, she was strong bone. She was good. And so Abram is greatly concerned about that. And so tell Sarai, you know, don't tell them that you're my wife. Just say that you're my sister instead. The events continue. Jump down to verse 17. So Abram goes into Egypt. Abram is there. The, the princes of Pharaoh say, hey, there's this, uh, this woman that, uh, that we, we think you're going to like. So Pharaoh goes and takes her and, and come brings her part of her, his household. And there was a process that she had to go through uh, before she could go before Pharaoh. And it was probably during that process of several months that in verse 17 happens. The Lord steps in. The Lord begins to plague Pharaoh and his house with great plagues. And we're not entirely sure uh, what God does here. But something, God intervenes and God is, God, God begins to plague just Pharaoh and his entire household with, with probably physical problems. And, and, and the Egyptians at this point in time, they were very, uh, there was a problem or a situation that was happening. They immediately began to ask questions. Okay, what God, uh, is, is angry at us? And God probably comes and reveals and says, listen, this woman that you've come and you've taken part of your house, this, she, you, you should not be doing that. And Pharaoh recognizes this. So God's intervention, it was God plagued Pharaoh's house. And Pharaoh recognizes this in the very next verse, verse 18. Pharaoh called to Abram and said, What is this that you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Now, how in the world does Pharaoh understand that she, Sarai, is his wife? Probably because God, in his intervention, said, you have a married woman in your midst. And until you get this woman out of your house, these plagues will continue. That's exactly what happens later on in Genesis chapter 20 with the scene. God intervenes again. Verse 19. Why did you not say that? She, why did you say that she is my sister? Pharaoh, who is a, doesn't even believe in God, but believes in, in all these crazy gods like the sun and the, the moon and, and, and frogs and so forth. All of a sudden he, he's saying, he's the righteous one here and saying, listen, why did you lie to me? I might have taken her as my wife. In other words, she's what came into my household. My every intention was to 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 have her to be my be my wife. But God intervened, and so Pharaoh literally kicks Abram out of Egypt. Pharaoh kicks Abram out of Egypt. Therefore, here is your wife. Take her. And go your way. Verse 20. So Pharaoh commanded his men concerning him, referring to Abram, and they sent him away. And they sent him away literally. Uh, they, they, they probably escorted them to their boundary and said, we never want to see you in this country again. And all that he had. Now those are the events. And again... We, we sometimes the, the, these, the scene here, we, we kind of, 
It doesn't sit well for us because we, we, we look, we're looking at, at, at a guy who, who we put up on a pedestal thing and man, this is the guy that, that God comes and promises these things. This is the guy that, that God comes and later on in, in Genesis chapter 15 cuts the covenant with him and this is the guy that God promised uh, Isaac and so forth. But here he is in a, in a real sense, in a moral failure where he's not trusting in these promises of God. And God has to intervene before He messes it all up. Here's some things that we need to consider when we think about this. Number one, Abram technically did not lie about Sarah being his sister. But he didn't tell the entire truth either. Abram technically did not lie about Sarah being his sister, but he didn't tell the entire truth either. And because he didn't really tell the entire truth either, in God's eyes, you know what, you're still lying. We call it, maybe, you know, I might have stretched the truth a little bit. God's like, no, that, that's still, you're still lying. In fact, when he gets caught again doing this exact same thing in Genesis chapter 20, and you'll see that Genesis chapter 20, verse 12. He explains to this time, he doesn't explain to Pharaoh what he did, but he explains to Abimelech uh, this time, and he says, but indeed, she truly is my sister. She is the daughter of my father, but not the daughter of my mother. So she's my half-sister. And then before she became, then she became my wife. Now some of us were thinking, dude, this is kind of strange. Marrying your half-sister. It's interesting, it's not until Moses' time that God says, you cannot do this anymore. The question that so many times people ask, you know, where does Cain get his wife? Does anybody know where Cain gets his wife from? He married his sister. That was, back then, that was, that was not uncommon to do that. It wasn't until, again, the time of Moses. And nowadays, even legally, Nowadays, we, we have like words like incest and things like that. But nowadays, why do we, why is it against the law to, to marry a close relative like a cousin or, or a sister? Why do, is it against the law to do that? Because you get genetic defects. It's not the, and that's why nowadays, as we get further and further away from the Garden of Eden, that we keep saying, no, you need to, you need to marry a distant relative, because we're all related. Every single person in this world go back far enough. You get the, the all the uh, all the men go back to Noah. All the women go back to Eve. Even secular scientists say that. So Abram says, technically, I didn't really lie, saying that she is my sister. But at the same time, Abram, you didn't really tell the entire truth either, and that's just as bad in God's eyes. There's a a story that. Uh, in, in the, the hiding place, uh, Corey Ten Boone. Uh, many of you, if you've read the book, you, you'll remember Corey Ten Boone and uh, her family uh, lived there in, in, um, in Holland and, uh, during the, the Nazis. And they, they, as a family, decided that they were going to hide the Jews. And that's why it's called the hiding place. Because they wanted to, to have, help the Jews to be able to escape uh, from going into the concentration camp. The family between Corey and her sister Betsy, they had they had the discussion of what are we to do when 
when if the if the Nazis come in and ask us point blank, are you helping the Jews? Are you hiding the Jews? Are we going to lie? Or are we going to say, yes, we are? What are we to do? Well, Corey, of course, uh, there's this debate going on in Fed, and Corey uh, said, now don't look down on Corey too much here, but Corey decided, well, well, we're, maybe we should stretch the truth a little bit and, and say no. To preserve ourselves, preserve the people that we're helping. Betsy, on the other hand, says, you know, I can't lie. The, the, the Bible makes it clear that we should not lie. We should not stretch the truth in, in this. So if they come and they tell me, ask me straight out, are you hiding Jews in this house? I'm going to say, yes, we are. Point blank. A few months later, there's this scene. The Gestapo comes busting in. Betsy's there. The Gestapo asks that question. Young, young girl, are you helping Jews? Yes, we are. Are you hiding Jews in your very house? Yes, we are. The question continues. The Gestapo asks, well, where are you doing it at this point in time? And what they hadn't created the, the false wall yet for the hiding place. They were hiding her them down in the basement. And she was standing on top of the trap door that went down to their basement that had a rug over on it. And so the Gestapo asked and said, where, where are you hiding the Jews? And she stomped her foot. Right here. I'm standing on them. The Gestapo didn't believe her. Asked her again, young lady, you, you know it's an offense to lie to us. Why are you not telling us the truth? And she started stomping even harder. I'm telling you the truth. I'm standing on top of their head right now. The Gestapo asked her again. And she did the exact same thing. I'm standing on top of them. They thought she was nuts. They turned around and walked out. Abram had that lack of faith and trust. Abram thought in his head, how can these promises, God, that you just gave me, how can they come true if I'm dead? If you promise me to have all these descendants, you were going to give this, these descendants this land. How can that be possible if I go down to Egypt and they kill me? God, these, this promise that, that, that you are going to make me into a mighty nation, numerous nation, how is that possible if I'm dead? So Sarai, here's the plan. Because, because God can't do these things in my life if I'm dead. So Sarai, here's the plan. When we go down there, kind of don't tell people the whole truth. Just tell them. Yeah, I'm, I'm his sister. The reason why Abram says this, the reason why Abram puts this scheme into play is because he does this for personal, selfish reasons. And we saw that. When you look through uh, these these uh, ten verses, you see over and over, especially as Abram is talking to Sarai and saying, "Hey, here's the plan, Sarai. Make sure you only tell people that you're my sister. Yeah, don't tell them that you're my wife. No, no, just tell them that you're my sister, and that's it. And the reason why to make sure you do this is because of personal selfish reasons. And in uh, verse um, twelve, right away, he says this: because if you tell them that you're my wife, what is going to happen to them? Me? They are going to kill me. Again, back is mine. How can these promises that God gives gave me, how is God able to do that if I'm dead? 
So don't tell them you're my wife, Sarai. Tell them you're my sister, because they will kill me. Verse 13. Please say you're my sister, that it may be well with, with me. In other words, hey, instead of, be, instead of going down to Egypt and, and facing and, and, and being killed, maybe it will change. Maybe they will, instead of uh, uh, killing me, maybe they will give me stuff. And that's exactly what happens, isn't it? That I may live because of you. And again, we see this lack of trust, lack of faith in, in Abram. God, these promises you gave me are great, but how in the world are they going to come true if I'm dead? And so I'm not going to tell the whole truth. I'm going to tell the half truth. But isn't that okay? And God has to step in and intervene. And probably, you know, we're not really sure uh, what exactly happens uh, to Abram, but I, I would imagine as he gets kicked out of Egypt, as he is going back into the land of Canaan, God probably maybe comes to him again and kind of maybe chews him out a little bit and be like, what were you thinking? Come on! You know who I am? I'm the Creator God. I'm the King. Pharaoh is nothing. I could have protected you during that time. Where's your faith? Where's your trust? But instead, so many times aren't we like this? So many times don't we think in our heads, hey, we need to help God. But we don't need to help God keep His promises. We don't need to intervene and be like, God, you know, in my life, when I try to step in and when I try to intervene, what happens? A lot of times I blow the situation up even more. And then I'm going to God and being like, man, I shouldn't have done that, God. You need to get me out of this situation. Instead of waiting. Instead of trusting. Instead of realizing that we don't need to help God keep His promises. In fact, He is more. He is more than capable to work out His plan on His own. He is more than capable. These promises that He gives to us in His, in, in His Word, in our situation, that the political situation, the turmoils that we see nationwide, the turmoils that we see all around the world, God is more than capable of working. And He is at work. And He is more than capable of working out His plan. He doesn't need our help. And that's incredible when you think about that. He doesn't need our help. But He says, I want to use you. We do not need we do not need to help God to keep his promises. He is more than capable to work out his plan on his own. Abram again this is one of those scenes where you you kind of read and you're and, and hopefully you're shaking your head and again number one you're thinking one what's going on here? Number two, you're sitting in your head thinking, Abram, 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 what in the world are you doing here? Why are you not trusting God? Why are you trying to do take matters in your own hands? Why are you trying to save yourself and not allowing God to work? The same is true in our lives that we need to have. Is, is we, in, in, in the midst of in the midst of sometimes not knowing what's going to happen next, 
God simply says this. Do you trust me? Do you trust me? Look at my history. And we went through that last week. The history of God's promises. God gave these promises to Abram. And yeah, four or five hundred years later, they came true. But we have all those promises all throughout all of Scripture. You think of the one that's coming up of Christmas. You think of 500 years before Jesus was born. Guess what? Jesus was telling the nation of Israel, there's going to come a Savior. There's going to come. God Himself is going to come. He's going to be born. And what happened? Just as God said it, it came true. And you look at that history and you're thinking, man, God is faithful. God is trustworthy. We can count on His Word. But how many times when situations happen, we're just like Abram? God, I, I, I don't know. Are you going to show up this time? Are you going to help this time? Where are you, God? And God would come and say, trust me. Do you trust me? I am more than able to work in that situation that you're going through. I'm more than able to give you the strength that you need. Hang on to my promises. Stand firm. Trust me. Trust me. He is more than capable to work out His plan in our lives. Let's pray.